You know, about two years ago at this point in time, about August 2020, my wife asked me a rel relatively simple question about something that we wanted to do as a family. It should have been a, an easy decision to make, as in, yes, let's do that. But at that moment, I was feeling so absolutely overwhelmed and anxious that that question seemed like it was too hard for me to answer. And I, like, I froze. I remember sitting there in my chair being like, "Hun, I don't know how to answer this question. And that's how I was doing back in the summer of 2020. Simple things were causing me distress. Because, and looking back, I know why. Looking back, we were five months into this pandemic thing, and everything was upside down. The way our kids had gone to school had changed, the way that we'd gone to work had changed, the way we were doing church was different, all of our relationships were weird, are you allowed to hug people, are you not allowed to hug people, like, like it, it, there was all these concerns at play, and in that moment, at that summer, it, the weight of all that felt like too much, like life was too much to handle. And I'm wondering if the rest of us can kind of appreciate that feeling from time to time. Like, sometimes life feels like it's just too much. And maybe for you, it's been, you know, the last two years of this whole pandemic thing. There's been various times in this pandemic where you've like, this is just too much. I don't know what to do with this. This is just too much. Maybe that's been you. Or maybe you find yourself reading the news, and every time you find yourself reading or watching the news, it feels like there's just too much. We have wars, we have various crises that are out there, we don't know things that are uncertain, we don't know what to do, and so the question is, how do we respond to this? What am I supposed to do with all this information? It can feel like too much. Or maybe there's something going on in your family. There's a health crisis. You're concerned about the well-being of a loved one, or maybe yourself. Or maybe you are somebody who's giving care to, a, to an aging parent, and there's decisions to be made, and you're not sure what to do, and the weight of that's becoming too much. Or maybe it's a relational issue. You know, you're not getting along with your kids, or you're not getting along with your spouse, or, or with a parent. There's just the relationships just seems to be broken, and you're not sure where to go with it. Or maybe you find yourself facing, you know, you're at a crossroads regarding your future where you just aren't sure what the next steps are that need to be taken, but you know that something needs to give. You know, we're all going to experience moments in life when it just feels like too much. Well, in the pa our passage this morning that we're going to look at, we meet somebody who is overwhelmed, and his name is Elijah. And in this moment where we meet Elijah, life is too hard. The forces against him are too many, and, and he feels all alone. Just It seems like too much. And so he decides, he comes to the conclusion that, you know what, it would be best if I was just dead. I just need to get away from all of this. But this story is a reminder about how God meets him and how God takes him on a journey where God gently reminds him that he has not been forgotten, that he is not alone, and that the forces against him are no match for God. And then and in this this exchange, God asks him a question that invites uh, Elijah to see that just because things are too much for him, maybe things are too much for us, that it doesn't mean that it's too much for God. And that's the big idea that we are exploring this morning, that just because something is too much for us doesn't mean that it's too much for God. And so let's pause right now, and we're going to hear our scripture read from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 13. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with his sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and ran for his life. 
When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been ze very zealous for the Lord my God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So the background to this passage that Ella read for us this morning follows what might be one of the most dramatic passages in the entire Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it tells the story of this showdown between God using the prophet Elijah and the false prophets of Elijah's day. And the backstory is that over time, God's people had wandered away from God and they'd begun to worship false idols. Now, as, I ki as a kid, I was kind of confused by this because in my mind, whenever we talked about idols, all I could picture were the pictures in my, my, my kid's Bible, which had people bowing down to these little statues. And I thought to myself, that seems, that seems kind of silly. Why would people do that? But here's the thing. Whenever we read about idol worship in Scripture, we should be careful not to think that we're necessarily any better. You know... Because idols are really anything that we use to substitute, anything that we substitute for God or for God's influence in our lives. An idol can be almost anything. And so while our idols might not look like little statues that we bow down to, there are other things probably in our houses that function as idols or other things in our lives that function as idols. And maybe if we reflect on how we spend our time, we spend our energy, we spend our money, where our dreams go, our mind wanders when we have free time, we might be able to identify a few things in our lives that are in fact idols. And so we need to be paying attention to any time we read in Scripture about idol worship because there's something probably there that God might be saying to us about the things that have become maybe too important to us or things that have too much of a say in our lives. Well, in 1 Kings, God's people have allowed people who didn't know about God to start to have an influence over their lives. And they'd substituted religious practices that were good, that pointed them towards God for religious practices that pointed them away from God and, and, and took their attention away from God. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, we read about what God does to remind his people about who he is, and it's actually an invitation for them to turn their attention towards God and to allow him to be the main influence in their lives. 
Now, for a prophet, if you, if you read through what happens in 1 Kings, it's very dramatic and big. And if you're thinking, for a prophet, that is what you live for, right? There is fire from heaven. You are vindicated. Like, this is the moment, right? This is the moment where you get to do all your prophet-type stuff, what you've been training for your whole life. This is it. God has used you in big ways. And you'd think that would forever change who Elijah is. And I'm sure it did. But then, as tends to happen, Elijah catches a glimpse of real life, and he crashes. And in what Ella read for us this morning, we, we get, it begins with the king going back to talk to his wife. And Jezebel is really the, the influential one in this, in, as a couple. She is the power broker in this relationship. And she's not pleased with what she has heard about what Elijah has done. And she issues this major threat. She says, it's gonna, you know, so help me, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. Just wait and see what I am going to do to you. It's a threat that is totally made to inspire fear and shake Elijah to his core. Now, you, you, you might want to think that Elijah, based on what he has just experienced, would say, yeah, you, you know, I, I don't like that so much, but you know what? You know, God's done some pretty big things. You know what? I'm going to trust God. Even though it's hard, I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of me. But that's not what he does. Instead, the text tells us that he was afraid and he ran for his life. And not only does he run away, he runs away about as far as he possibly can get, then he ditches his servant, his traveling companion, and then runs some more. And then when he finally gets as far away as he possibly can, he crumbles into a pile and he says, okay, it's over, I just wish I was dead now. You know, I want to pause just with that image in mind for a moment. Because often I think when we think about what it means to be a person of faith, we think about people who seem to be unshakable. People who, when faced with opposition, they stand strong and they, they stand firm and they never waver. But here in Elijah, we meet somebody who's definitely not unshakable. He's very shakable. And the prophet Elijah is, a one, is wonderfully human and very relatable here. And this story reminds us that God loves us in our weaknesses, in our frailties, in our shakeability. Is shakeability a word? We just used it. We're going to keep that one. In our shakeability, God loves us. You know, Elijah is tired. He's worn out. The adrenaline is all gone. And his response in this crisis is to run away and to crumble into a, into a pile and to wish he was dead. And I don't know about you, but this makes me feel much better about myself. You know, I can be strong for a season, I can function in crisis mode for a little while. I can step up on occasion and be in awe of how I see God at work in me, in the world around me, how I get to be a part of what God is doing. But then the crash can be very real. And when the crash happens, perspective can quickly go away. That sense of God's at work can quickly be overshadowed by, by real life. But this is where God meets Elijah in the crash. God meets Elijah in the crash. You know, the other day, I went downstairs to our rec room where our kids were watching TV and they were having a snack. And as I walked into the room, I was met by this scene of cereal all over the floor. I believe we bought them this, like, cereal that they've been asking for. I think it was a special treat, like, 
three-quarters of the box just spread across the floor. And in that moment, I had an important decision to make, okay? And I don't always get it right parenting-wise. This, this time, I did okay. I had this decision to make. How was I going to respond? Because I knew what had happened. I knew that the child pouring the cereal had been distracted by what was on the TV, and the mess was the result. This is a frequent thing that happens in our house. They get distracted, and then there's a mess. And so I walked in, and I knew what had happened, and I had a decision. Is this going to be a moment where dad comes in strong and hard or and fortunately I had the wherewithal by the grace of God to read the room because then the corner there was a child crying that was not a moment to come in hard that was not a teachable moment that was a moment for a hug in fact, if I'd wanted to come in and make that a teachable moment, that was really would have been a bad decision, not just for the emotions of the room, but that kid was not in a position to be paying attention to what was going on. This would not have been a worthwhile uh, investment of my energy to be like, okay, what could we have done better, buddy? Like, you know, let's go. Like, that wouldn't have been just wasted effort. Instead, what was needed was a gentle response. And I think this is the type of parental response that we see from, from God in relation to Elijah. You know, yes, God could have addressed Elijah's lack of faith and, and slapped his wrist and said, okay, you need to be better now. Like, okay, you know, what are you doing here? We just had this big, big thing. You should be a strong person of faith. Like, get on with it. He could have done that. But Elijah was in no place to hear a lecture. Instead, the story shows us that God speaks to us where we are at and maybe how we are at, how we are doing in the moments, you know, when we aren't doing so well. And the text tells us that God sent an angel to where Elijah had fallen asleep. And the angel wakes him up and gives him some food and some water and allows him to rest some more. And you know, while this isn't the main point of our, our time together this morning, we need to recognize that our physical needs for things like rest and nourishment um, are important. And when we neglect our physical needs, often other things start to fall apart as well. And so maybe for some of us, one of the take-homes from today is to recognize that we've been going hard for a while, and what we really need is a nap. <laughs> it's oversimplification. But what we really need is we need to step away, give ourselves some space to rest, and to engage in some things that build us up, some things that nourish us. After some more rest, God comes to Elijah again. It says the angel of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Have you ever heard that saying that God won't give you more than you can handle? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an, I think this story is one of those stories that tells you that that's not true. In fact, right here, God is very honest and says, hey, you can't handle this. This journey is too much for you. This is, this is you know, it feels hard. It is hard. It is real. This is what you're about to do right now. What you've experienced, it's too much. What you're about to experience this next journey, it's too much. But do you notice what God does? God gives Elijah what he needs that will sustain him on this journey that seems like too much. And the journey that God leads Elijah on is a journey that's about reminding Elijah about who he is and what Elijah is, uh, what God is about. And it's about reminding Elijah about how God has taken care of God's people in the past. Elijah is taken on a journey that lasts 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. This right here is symbolic of the 40 years that God's people wandered around in perhaps that same wilderness. And in that time, you know, as they're waiting to go from Egypt to the promised land, God took care of them. He provided them food. He provided them water. He protected them. God was faithful and he took care of his people. 
And this, is, this journey is a physical reminder of God's care for Elijah. Not only that, Elijah's destination, the text calls it Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Well, another name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is the place that God met with Moses, with the Israelites camped around the bottom of that mountain, and gave them the Ten Commandments. And the, if you read through the book of Exodus, there's this image of God's presence resting on that mountain, close to the, right beside, in the middle, actually, of the encampment of the Israelites. This journey to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, is a journey to this place that is symbolic of God's up-close and personal presence with his people. And these two details, the 40-day journey and the mountain of God, are details that are supposed to remind Elijah about how God has been faithful in the past as a way of reminding Elijah that God has not forgotten him now. And on the mountain is where we hear God ask the question of Elijah, what are you doing here? It's a gentle question that's about inviting Elijah to, to, to get at the heart of what is going on. And in a way, he does, but it's kind of a venti whining, you know, this is what's going on thing. Because Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one, and now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, the situation's too hard, God. The, peop the people against me are too many, and the threat is too big. There's too much here. I can't handle it. I'm overwhelmed. Like, I'm the only one left here. Everybody else is against me. It's over. But God isn't done with Elijah yet. Instead, God invites Elijah to stand on the mountain and wait for God himself to pass by. Let's watch a little bit of, let's watch a video clip here to help us kind of visualize this experience.
One of the things that I like about this video is I think it, it helps us visualize Elijah's experience on the mountain. And we got some epic type music to go with it because I think it kind of helps, helps us understand just how big and dramatic this experience would have been. I mean, and Elijah had had a big and dramatic experience with God just previously. And so why wouldn't he expect God to be, show up in big and dramatic ways this time? But that's not how God chooses to show up in this moment. And in fact, I'm not sure that's what Elijah needed. What Elijah needed was not to get run over by God's greatness, but to have God come gently to him. He needed to experience God's gentleness. And for some of us, that's what we need to experience too. You know, our vision of who God is and what, uh, what God is about, it can sometimes feel like we're going to get bowled over by God's greatness, that he is big, that he gets what he wants when he wants it, and, and we can be afraid that we're going to get run over. But this passage reminds us of God's gentle nature, something that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And in this saying, Jesus is inviting his, his listeners, he's inviting us to come to get to know him, come to get to know God in his gentleness. And in his gentleness, God again asked Elijah, what are you doing here? What brings you to this place? What is going on that, that brings you here? And interestingly enough, Elijah says the exact same thing. If we were to keep reading this passage, Elijah says pretty much the exact same panic-stricken thing that he said before. You know, life is still seems like it's too much. But this time God speaks and he tells Elijah that things aren't exactly the way that aren't exactly as they seem to Elijah. And if we were to keep reading, we would see God telling Elijah what is that 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 he's not alone. That instead of the fact Elijah thinks he's alone, but in fact there are thousands of other people who've remained faithful to God. And not only that, he's not alone in his leadership. He doesn't have to bear the burden of leading God's people alone because God identifies two people that Elijah needs to go seek out who will bear the burden of leadership for God's people. Everything is not Elijah's responsibility. Elijah is not alone. He's not been forgotten by God and all is not lost. Now, as like frail and maybe unheroic as Elijah seems in this passage, one of the things, things that we need to give Elijah credit for is that he was there. He was there meeting with God, even though he's shakable. You know, he was there in, in responding to God when God said, hey, what's wrong? He answers. He tells God what's wrong, and he is there just enough to, be a, to hear God point him in a different direction. Elijah didn't have to be perfect, and he didn't have to be strong. He just had to be there. This question, what are you doing here, is a question that's both diagnostic and it's invitational. It's diagnostic in the sense that, that God is inviting Elijah to name the things that were troubling him, name the things that were too much. And it's also invitational because it's the beginning point of a journey that sets Elijah back on track. Now, as we look to wrap up this morning, we are going to close up with a reflection exercise, and we're going to talk our way through it now, and then in our closing prayer time, we're going to make space to do that in our closing prayer time this morning. But let, let me walk us through the three questions that are part of our reflection exercise this morning. The first question is, what is, 
And we're following along this story with Elijah. But the first question is, what is too much for me right now? You know, this is the diagnostic side of God's question to Elijah. But for us, the question is, you know, what seems to be too hard? Or what seems to be uh, too much? Or what obstacles seem to be too big? Or what relationships seem to be too broken? You know, those moments of feeling overwhelmed, you know, we aren't seeing things properly. We aren't able to see what God is doing. And so we are invited to, to let it out. And I would remind you that has God, as Elijah responds to God, this is not nice, neat, nice words. It's pretty whiny. So feel comfortable letting it out. What is too much for us to handle right now? The second one, how have I witnessed God at work in the past? You know, in Elijah's story, God not only personally attends to Elijah's needs by feeding him and by letting him rest, but he takes him on this intentional journey of remembering God's presence, remembering how God has been faithful and God is taking care of God's people. You know, when we are in moments uh, where life feels too much, when we are overwhelmed, we have a hard time remembering, you know, anything good happening, let alone how God has shown up in the past. And so this question prompts us to take a step back from what's maybe right, right in front of us and to think, how have we seen God at work? Maybe this is remembering a story from our families. Maybe you have a story in your family about this one time when, when grandma didn't have anything that she needed. There was no food on the table and somebody rang the doorbell just in time and it was exactly what they needed. Or maybe there's a story in your own life where you, know, you were seeking God for something, you were heartbroken and God showed up in that moment. It was a person, it was a conversation. It was a quiet moment where God was just more real than he's ever been. How have we seen God at work in our lives and in the world around us? Lastly, how is God whispering to me this morning? For Elijah, it was this gentle whisper, that, 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 uh, this gentle whisper of God that started to put things right. For sure, Elijah had problems. This gentle whisper wasn't this sense that everything was going to be easy after this. But it was God showing up in the middle of what Elijah was struggling with and reminding him that God was still with him in the struggle. And it was this possibility that things could be different. And so this morning, as we, we listen to God, the question is, how is God speaking to the things that seem like they're too much? And maybe as we make space to listen, we'll have a, a word of scripture that comes to mind. Maybe a w word from one of the songs that we, were, that we sang earlier this morning, just a, a phrase or, or a line will kind of go through our minds, will kind of come, come to mind. And it, if that happens, I encourage you just to think on that. These are ways that God speaks to us in the quiet. And so this morning as we go to our closing prayer time, we're going to kind of walk our way through those three questions. I'm going to pray to, to lead, but I'm also going to leave some space um, for you just to have the time in this quiet to, to, to reflect and to be listening to how God might be speaking to you. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, for the time to worship, for this time to reflect on your word. But Lord, we, we come to you as people who, we've got things going on in our lives, things that 
seem to be too big to handle, things that are causing us distress, things that are uncertain, and things that are causing us to be afraid, and just causing our lives to feel like they're just out of balance, God. And so this morning, we want to just lay before you the things that feel like they're just too much, or they're too big. God, for some of us, the burdens that we carry are for our own health. Our health journey has had so many twists and turns, Lord, that we aren't sure what to expect to come next. Lord, for some of us, the burden that we are carrying this morning has to do with our kids. Lord, we're worried for them for their well-being. We aren't sure about the decisions that they are making. God. Lord, some of us are feeling the weight of just the uncertainty in our, in our finances and our households. We're not exactly sure how we're going to make ends meet, God. We know something's got to give we don't have answers to that. Lord, for others, we are just feeling lonely, God, and the weight of loneliness feels suffocating. We don't know who to turn to, we don't know who to confide in. Or this morning, we want to say thank you for being the God who listens when we unload the things that feel like they're too much. Lord Jesus, would you hear our prayers, hear our cries. Thank you for meeting us in this place. Lord, this morning we ask that you would remind us of those moments when you have shown up and you have been faithful. Would you help us to remember those stories of those God stories from our families Growing up with the stories where grandma maybe told us about, oh, I remember grandma talking about you providing when she didn't know where, what was going to come. Lord, I thank you for those times when I've been aware of your presence. Where you've put me in a new direction. Lord, would you bring to mind the memories and the emotions of how you've been a part of our stories to this point. And if we're not able to remember something from ours, our own lives, Lord, would you bring to mind how you've been a part of those that we love, the lives of those that we love, friends and family? 
Lord, that we might be able to grab hold of faith even when faith is hard. Lord, this morning we want to practice listening for your voice to speak to us in these circumstances. And so, Lord, this morning we say, speak, for your servants are listening. Jesus, you said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, you've told us to not be afraid, for you are with us. Lord, that you will strengthen us, you will uphold us. God, you've said that you are making all things new. God, help us to know that in our souls this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these moments. Lord, and we acknowledge that we don't often make moments to be still before you. We don't often have quiet moments in our days. Lord, help us to create space in our lives and in our hearts just to be still before you and to hear you whisper. In your name we pray, amen.